Slate's Negotiation Academy is brought to you by FedEx. FedEx does more than shipping. They offer businesses a range of valuable solutions. Explore the solutions at fedex.com slash solutions that matter. Hi, I'm Jill Barche. And I'm Seth Stevenson. Welcome to Episode 3 of Slate's Negotiation Academy. As you may recall, in episode two, we talked about extracting information from your opponent. Now we're going to talk about how to persuade your opponent during the negotiations. Before we discuss all the individual persuasive techniques, we decided to go pay a visit to a master of persuasion. I went down to Wall Street to visit with Rajan Cohen. He's a senior chairman at the law firm of Sullivan and Cromwell. And he is one of these power players behind the scenes. He has been in the negotiation room for merger and acquisition deal after deal after deal. He's probably most famous for negotiating the bank deal that released the American hostages in 1981 after the Iranian hostage crisis. He negotiated the deal after Bear Stearns collapsed to sell it to J.P. Morgan on the phone with the Fed. Just every major part of the financial crisis seems like he was in the hot seat. So we decided to go ask him about what he thinks the most important persuasive techniques are. Maybe it's the first or second dislikability. That really is important because there are sort of two techniques in negotiation. One, to try and reach a level of compatibility and accommodation, and the other is to browbeat. The latter is far less likely than the former to be successful. There will be times when the latter is necessary, but those times are very rare. There are very few people who will give in to a bully, in a sense, in negotiation. The only time they are likely to do so is when they are under immense pressure. You're very soft-spoken with me right now. Is that your style at the negotiation table? Um, I think it helps to be relatively soft-spoken because when you do yell, it, it has more effect. If you're yelling all the time, you just create a cacophony of noise. Then no one can distinguish what is really important from what is not important. Cohen's soft-spokenness extends to his whole physique. People tease that he's 5'2 and 100 pounds. He's not that small. But he has this whole sort of small softness about him that's not intimidating and friendly. And I also noticed when he talks about the person on the other side of the negotiating table, it's never the opponent or the adversary. It's the counterparty. It's it's more like his partner. Yeah, it's a pretty simple concept. But if you're more likable, your opponent might be more willing to make concessions. And along related lines, we may not want to hear it, but a lot of studies have shown if you're more attractive, your opponent may be more inclined to give you some concessions. So maybe before you go to the negotiating table, brush your hair real nice and uh, put on your best looking gear. Another thing that you can do to be kind of more friendly and likable and validate your negotiating partner on the other side of the table is to mimic that person's body language. It shows a lot of empathy. It validates the other side. I think it's a technique technique that shrinks use, too. There are a few other persuasive techniques to talk about. One is reciprocity. An example of this is when a charity sends you address labels in the mail, even though you didn't ask for them. And along with the address labels, they ask you for a contribution. They've given you something, and they're hoping that you're going to feel a responsibility to give something back. So what's something you can give at the negotiation table? It could be as simple as a compliment. You could even bring brownies. Uh, anything you give the other side, they're going to feel a bit of an obligation to give you something in return. Another basic idea is scarcity. We've only got three tickets left at this price. If you can make it seem like you've got a scarce resource and it's running out, you can put some pressure on the other side. 
There's also authority. If you can make yourself seem like an authority on a matter, the other side may be a little bit cowed by that authority. So when you see a commercial for an aspirin and the actor is wearing a white lab coat, he's connoting an authority that he might not even have. And you can do that too. I mean, you can wear a power tie or you can cite some stats. You can seem very professional and like you know what you're doing. And when you do that, the other side is going to be more inclined to give you the benefit of the doubt. There's also something called social proof. That's the concept of everyone else is doing it. So when you're in the midst of negotiation, you can say, well, I did the same deal with three other guys. They all took that number. Why aren't you? One of my favorite persuasive tricks that we learned in the class was getting the other side to commit to a value out loud. Do you believe in fairness? Do you believe in justice? Then later on in negotiation, when you're you're agreeing to split something 50-50, You can say, but earlier you said you believed in fairness. What could be more fair than 50-50? And then they kind of agree with you because they did, in fact, say earlier, I believed in fairness. Sure. You could do something like say, I remember in your first email, you said X was very important to you. And you get them to admit that this is something they said before. And uh, one thing you can do with this is to make sure that these commitments they've made are public. Get them to make these statements in front of other people. And have them be concrete, sort of nail down the brass tacks. When someone says something in front of other people and it's very concrete, it becomes hard for them to go back on that. When I talked with Rajan Cohen, he said the most persuasive technique that he uses is something that he learned from a master when he was younger. Probably the best business negotiator I ever saw. I once asked him why he was so successful. And what he said to me that almost everybody that I know approaches negotiations with the mindset of what do I want and how do I get it. I approach negotiations with figuring out what the other guy wants and how do I give it to him. The wisdom is that if you can make somebody on the other side believe that he or she is getting what he or she wants, it's going to be very easy to reach a transaction. If, in contrast, the other the, the counterparty believes that you are simply going in for what you want, uh, they are going to be resistant by nature. Rajan Cohen says you can't be brash about it. You can't directly ask the other side, so what do you want? What do, what do I need to give you? Because then they'll start making demands and it'll get ugly. He says you have to kind of tease it out very carefully. What you always try and do is give options rather than yes or no. Uh, yes or no, it's 50-50 that it's going to be a no. Options, uh, the counterparty thinks less about no and more about which of the options is the more attractive. We were negotiating a sale of a company where we did not have all the cards by any means. We really needed to sell. And the question was whether the buyer absolutely needed some element of contingency in the pricing. Anyway, what do you mean by contingency in the pricing? That the price could vary depending on the performance of the company between the signing of the deal and the closing. And we weren't sure whether that was absolutely a make or break. So we gave the other side various options as to how to deal with the problem. And they were placed in such a way that we thought we could figure out whether the contingency was critical. 
it turned out the contingency was critical. We gave the contingency, but we think in return we were able to negotiate a higher overall price. So what Rajan Cohen did here, rather than asking the other side, do you need contingency? He gave them a bunch of options. And then when they indicated that the contingency was really important to them, then he realized, well, if I give them that, I'll get a better price. He gave us another example of how you can give the other side a variety of options. Negotiation nerds call it menu technique. We had a big stock position in a company, and another institution had a big stock position in a company. It made no sense to continue to fight between the two of us. It was going to be very costly. So we actually went to the other side and said, we will either sell our stake for $25, or we will buy your stake for $25, either way. And it took the other side three hours. They finally came back and decided to buy us out. About seven or eight years later, I ran into the CEO of the other side at a uh, sporting event. And he said, you know, it's bothered me all these years. Which one did you really want us to take? I said, we were really indifferent. We said so at the time. And we were, probably. And notice how the options are are fair. I mean, it's not like you're giving two bad options. You know, do you want to buy me for $25 or can I buy you for $25? It's it's fair, but you're figuring out what their real need was and they wanted to stay in control of the company. We've talked a lot about needing to plan before you get to the negotiation table. But actually, the moment during negotiation where you're going to give several options sometimes comes up spontaneously, and it's really hard to plan it out ahead of time. Rajan Cohen says he sometimes sees people across the table with all these talking points printed out and all these option matrices, and they end up, after a half hour, an hour, putting them aside because the negotiation's already moved on in a different direction. People who try and negotiate the same way for every transaction are going to be less than successful. Every deal has its own momentum, has its own dynamics, has its own people. And so you, there are certain basic lessons about negotiation, but they cannot be followed like a cookbook. It's, it's really got to be an excellent chef who will change the ingredients from time to time, depending on the circumstances. Now, one thing to remember with all these powerful, persuasive techniques is a little goes a long way. You don't want to get caught trying to influence someone because then they're going to resent you. So be careful how you use them and be subtle about it. That's it for episode three. In episode four, we'll talk about venues, ambiance, physical tactics, and the ticking clock. You can send us feedback and questions at our email address, podcasts, that's with an S, at slate.com. You'll find this in every past episode of the Negotiation Academy at slate.com slash negotiation. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers. Our producer is Mark Phillips. And I'm Jill Barche. And I'm Seth Stevenson. Happy haggling. We'll talk to you next episode.